0: Well, hey everybody, welcome to Genesis Church. My name is Steve Wallen. I'm the campus pastor here. I'm so glad that you joined us today. I'm going to ask you a question. You can raise your hand or applaud if you believe this is true. How many of you believe that 2015 can be a better year than 2014? Raise your hand or applaud if you believe that. Good, thank you. Most of you by faith are believing that. Thank you for your faith in that. Now let me ask you this. How many of you know That for this year to be better than last year, that you're going to have one or more major decisions to make in the next year. Raise your hand if you've got a major decision to make in the next year. Yeah, a lot of us, right? I mean, maybe for you it's with your job. Uh, Do I keep the job I have or do I look for a new one? You know, which one do I choose? Maybe you've got a couple different options right now. Uh, Maybe for you it's your living situation. Am I going to continue to rent? Or am I going to buy a house? Is this going to be the year we finally get to buy a house? Or maybe the renting thing hasn't been working out, and you're thinking, am I going to move back home uh, with my parents? Maybe you're a parent, and you're thinking, am I going to lock the door so my kid can't come back home, right? And, and we're not going to let that happen again. You know, maybe for you, it's a question about a relationship. Is this the year we finally get married? Is this the year we finally get engaged? Is this the time that we – somebody's clapping, Yay. Is this the year that, we, that I have to end that relationship that my boyfriend or girlfriend's not working out? It's not going the direction I want, and maybe I've got to end that relationship. It's a big decision to make, right? Uh, maybe for you, it's college. You've got a whole row of high school students right here, right? You Guys thinking about college. How, you know, where am I going to go to college? Am I even going to get into college? And if so, how am I going to decide where I'm going to go? Big decision, right? It's going to alter the course of your life. It's going to change the course of your life. It's a big decision. How do I choose? No pressure. Am I going to stay home with the kids or am I going to go back to work? We'd love to get out of debt, but, man, it's been so good being a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad. What am I going to choose to do? Am I going to buy a newer car or keep the old clunker I've got for another year and work on paying out that debt? You know, We have big decisions to make, right? We all have big decisions to make in our lives. Many years ago, I heard somebody say something that changed the way I think about big decisions. In fact, he gave me this. I don't know if you can see this. Do you know what this is? you see on the back? It's a $2 bill. You don't see these very often, right? But this guy uh, gave me this $2 bill, and he said, um, Steve, you, you need to, I want you to have this so that you remember that there are only two things that we have to do in life. And, of course, I said, uh, yeah, I know. We've got to die, and we've got to pay taxes, right? And he said, no, no, that's not it. He said, in fact, you don't realize this, but you don't have to pay taxes, Right? You may not like the consequences if you don't pay taxes, but you don't have to pay taxes. And in fact, then later I became a Christian and I realized, you know what? You don't have to die either. Like the John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't die, won't perish, but will have eternal life, right? So you don't have to die or pay taxes. So I said, well, what are the two things? What are the two things that we have to do in life? He says, Steve, there's only two things you have to do. We have to make decisions. And we have to live with the consequences of those decisions. Those are the only two things that you have to do in life. And so by, by definition, a good decision, right? We all want to make good decisions and not bad decisions. By definition, a good decision is one that has a good outcome, right? It has consequences that you can live with, consequences that you like, right? Now, but we've all made bad decisions, Right? Most of us have. Raise your hand if you've ever made a bad decision in your life. Most of you are truthful people. The rest of you are liars. You're liars. That's a bad decision. Who you are, who you will be tomorrow is influenced by the decisions you make today, right? And In fact, maybe you want to say it this way. We make our decisions, and then our decisions make us. So we're in this series called Better, and what we're doing is over these three weeks, we're looking at three passages of Scripture, three verses from the Bible that say one thing is better than something else. And what we're doing is we're working to memorize these scriptures together. We want to hide these scriptures in our heart because we believe by faith that if we want this year to be better than last year, then what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to do some things that are better than the things we did last year, right? And so uh, we believe if we are able to remember these verses and we are apply them to our lives, then this year can be better than last year. And so uh, maybe you remember last week's, if you were here, if you weren't, I'll put it up on the screen. Psalm 8410 says, better is one day. In your courts, talking about the courts of the Lord, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Why don't you say that with me? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Did you guys work on memorizing that this week? We did that around the dinner table. Uh, Let's take that off the screen, see how many of you did some work this week. Let's do it without looking at our notes. Ready? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Great job, guys. Give yourselves a big hand. Nice work. All right, so this week, we want to look at another verse about something better. And it's a verse that if we apply it to our lives, I think it can help us make good decisions. We can make more good decisions and fewer bad decisions. It comes from the book of Proverbs. It's Proverbs 16, 16, and it says this. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver? So why don't you say that with me? How much better to get wisdom than gold? To choose understanding rather than silver. Let's say that again. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To choose understanding rather than silver. You think you can do it without looking at it? All right, let's take it off the screen. Ready? How much better to get wisdom than gold? To choose understanding rather than silver. Great job. You guys are awesome. Good job. So it's so telling that the author chose gold as what wisdom is better than. If you think about it, Old Testament times, this was written in the Old Testament, gold was the most valuable material you could find. It was used in a lot of things. It was used for jewelry. It was used as a method of exchange. So it was kind of currency. It was also used in furnishing. They would they would plate things or cover things with gold to show off their wealth. And so gold was very valuable. It was very important. But But the author says that wisdom is better than that. And silver was the next most valuable thing. And silver uh, would have been used in a lot of those things also for building. And it says, he says it's better to choose understanding than silver. Now, here's something you should know about this proverb. It was written by a man named Solomon. Uh, Solomon, Scripture tells us, was the wisest man who ever lived. Now, he was also the wealthiest man. At the time this was written anyway, he was the wealthiest man who had ever lived. Now, those two don't always go together. Right, Sometimes they do. Uh, wise people become wealthy, but we all probably know somebody in our family or a friend who somehow became wealthy without being wise. Anybody? No, no, don't raise your hand. I think we've all got that person who, how on earth did they become wealthy when they've got no wisdom at all, right? But, but Solomon was both wealthy and wise, and you think, man, how could a guy be so blessed? How could somebody be so lucky, so fortunate to have money, and great wisdom. Well, it all comes back to a story that we read in the Old Testament book of, of Second Chronicles. Now, uh, you can turn there if you want. Second Chronicles, chapter one. This is right at the time right after Solomon becomes the king of Israel. Now, Solomon didn't do anything great to become king of Israel. He just happened to be the son of the former king of Israel. He was the son of a man named David. David was the king of Israel, and Solomon uh, became the next king in his stead when, when uh, David died. And so, um, but Solomon was so uh, desperate for God's blessing on his kingship, um, and so what would happen is typically when a person became king, when a man became king, when a man got appointed to a new position of leadership, he would have to make a sacrifice. And so he would go to the place of worship, to the temple probably, or uh, wherever they would worship at the time, to, I'm sorry, to the tabernacle or wherever they would worship at the time, and he would make a sacrifice. Usually it was a large animal, typically a bull, and they would sacrifice a bull to God. Well, Solomon was so desperate for God's blessing on his kingship that he didn't sacrifice a bull or two bulls or 10 bulls or even a 100 bulls Solomon brought a sacrifice, an offering of a thousand bulls to be placed before his God. And so this was such a generous sacrifice, such a generous offer that here's what happened that that night, God appeared to Solomon in a dream. We see the second Chronicles one, seven, and he said this to Solomon. He said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Whoa. God said that to Solomon. Now, What would you say if God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you? You know, if you're like my kids, you'd probably say, I I ask for more wishes, right? Well, that's not like, it's not a genie in the bottle. You don't do that. But, but what would you ask for? Seriously? Would you ask for money? A lot of people would ask for money. You know, I want money to get out of debt, money to buy a home, money to take a big vacation, uh, money so that all my friends would be jealous. They can see how much stuff I've got. Uh, If you're single, maybe you'd ask for a spouse Or a a boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, you uh, want that person to share your life with. Maybe you know, I just want I just want a godly husband. That's what I want. I want a godly husband, or I want a a hot wife who knows how to cook and pray, right? And so I'm going to ask for that relationship. Maybe uh, you're sick or you're injured, and you just ask for healing. Like I'd give it all if I could just, you know, be healed of this disease or be cured of this injury. Uh, Maybe you've been told you can't have a child. And if God asks you, you know, ask for whatever you want, the one thing you'd say is, I just want a baby. I'm so desperate, I want a baby. You know, of all the things he could ask for, here's what Solomon said, verse eight. Solomon answered God, you have shown great kindness to David my father and you have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. And this is what he asked for, verse 10. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people For who is able to govern this great people of yours? So Solomon understood the responsibility that was placed on him. Right, He knew that he would be involved uh, in leading God's people. He knew the difficulty that would come with that. He knew that that would entail a lot of really important decisions that he would have to make. And so he asked for wisdom. Above all else, the one thing I want is I want wisdom and knowledge to lead your people. And he did that because he realized the consequences of leading God's people astray would be great. And so God was so pleased with Solomon's decision that the Bible says God gave him wisdom, but also gave him wealth and possessions as well. And he gave him a long life as well. And he gave him what he asked for and all this other stuff as well. And, and so much later in his life, when Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, he would look back on that decision and write Proverbs sixteen sixteen: how much better to get wisdom than gold to choose silver or to choose understanding rather than silver. I remember when I was uh, 28 years old, I had my very first management job. I I wasn't even out of college yet. So if that gives you an understanding of how smart I was, I was 28 years old and still in college. Um, And I got my very first management job, and and I was leading people, my very first job leading people. In fact, um, in one day, I became my boss's boss. And so if you think about that, uh, one day I went to work, and I was working for a guy. And the next day I came to work, and he was working for me. that happened twice in my career, but I I remember specifically sitting in his office and having this conversation, and he's telling me about uh, what needs to happen over the next couple weeks. And he said – he stopped right in the middle of the conversation. He goes, hey, anytime you want to flip-flop this, you just let me know. know? And so I'm like, okay. uh, I I don't even know how to lead you. I'm still being led by you. But um, I realized I was quickly – quickly realized I was over my head that I needed help, that I needed wisdom. I needed knowledge. And so some of the people at work were reading this book. John Maxwell, Developing the Leader Within You. I don't know if anybody's ever read this book. But uh, I picked it up and started reading it. And it took me about a day to read this book. And I realized, man, there is some great wisdom for leadership in this book. And as I was reading it, I was getting stuff. I was writing it down. I was taking notes. And I was thinking about all this leadership principles that I had to apply to my life. And then I started looking at him. I said, man, he didn't come up with a lot of this stuff. A lot of this wisdom is from the Bible. And it, I wasn't a Christian at the time. And I said it's from a, 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 especially a lot of it's from a book called Proverbs. And so I put this book down and started reading the book of Proverbs. And I realized that, man, even if you're not a Christian, there's a lot of wisdom for your life in the Bible. I mean, a, a, a lot of wisdom for how you make decisions and how you lead people and, and how you live your life. And that wisdom from this book and from the Bible became incredibly valuable for me, for leading people, for making decisions, because we all have to do two things, right? We, we have to make decisions, and we have to live with the consequences of those decisions. You know, later, uh, Solomon would write this, Proverbs 4, 7. He says, wisdom is the most important thing. So get wisdom. If it costs you everything you have, get understanding. Now, this was a man who was the wealthiest man in the world. And he said, if it costs you everything you have, get wisdom. In other words, I would give up everything to have wisdom if I had to get it. If it costs you everything, you need wisdom. We all have decisions to make, and we need wisdom to make the right ones. And see, here's the thing. If you're a Christian, Jesus didn't just come to be the Savior of your life. He came to be Lord of your life. He's Lord of your life. It means you let him steer, right? And when I was a kid, I used to see this bumper sticker all the time that said, um, God is my co-pilot. You ever seen that? And there's a bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot. And then I saw that for a few years, and then later I started seeing one that said, uh, if God is your co-pilot, move over. You ever seen that? So, like, right, like, let God drive. You're going to let God steer. Well, Jesus came to be the Lord of our life, and we need his wisdom. We need to let him lead us in that, right? So time and time again, when you read Scripture, especially in the book of Proverbs, but in all through Scripture, it draws a contrast between wise people and what the Bible calls a fool right? And so the truth is, I think we all want to be wise, but most of us do foolish things sometimes, right? Anybody want to admit that you're a fool sometimes? Sometimes you're a fool, anybody? A few people in this room are fools sometimes. Now, let me ask you, be honest, how many of you always think before you act? Okay, two people raised their hand in the first service, I had to call them out. Uh, so sometimes, how many of you sometimes act before you think, right? Anybody? So um, I remember when uh, my wife was pregnant with our first daughter, Grace, uh, we had to be, she had to be induced, and so we had to show up at the hospital at 6.15 on a Tuesday morning. So it was nice and early, and we get to the hospital, and for the first couple hours – and they tell her, you know, you're going to have a baby. You can't eat anything before you come to the hospital, and so – Get to the hospital, and uh, you know, for the first two hours, they don't do anything. You just kind of, she just kind of lays in bed, and then they they start doing some stuff and checking and doing. And it takes a long time, just really, to get things moving. Things aren't happening. And uh, noon rolls around, and one o'clock rolls around, and finally, about one o'clock, she starts to go into labor. And of course, I was in solidarity with my wife at that point, so I didn't eat anything in the morning. I haven't eaten all day and it's one o'clock and she goes into labor and then two o'clock rolls around and the doctor comes in and says, "Um, dad, we're going to give her the epidural now and you don't need to be here for this. Why don't you go get something to eat? And so I stopped and I looked at my wife and I looked at the door (laughs) and I looked at my wife. I don't know what to do right now. <laughs> I'm starving. You know, it's been s- since last night, since I've eaten and I've, I've been standing here all day and I, I don't know what to do. And then I thought, well, you know what? She's got her ice chip. She's fine. I'm going to go get something to eat. And so I, I went, there was a Long John Silver's at the parking lot of the hotel. I went to Long John Silver's and I got my fish meal. I came back up to the room and I was eating it. And it probably wasn't the smartest thing, but I remember that as we were, I was, we took the Lamaze class, the delivery class, birth and deliver, delivery and birth class. And the thing that the instructor kept telling me was, Dad, your biggest responsibility is to be an encourager and a cheerleader. And so knowing that we were being induced, I had some time to think about this. And so I had kind of written some things down that I was going to say to my wife when she got into the hardest part of labor. And if you, get, if you know me at all, I, I kind of want to be witty. I kind of want to be funny. And so uh, I remember it's about 5 o'clock, and she's pushing real hard, and um, I can tell that she's in some pain. And so I look at her, I look at her in the eyes, and I said, Honey... You can do this. You are a sturdy, handsome woman. And she said, what? <laughs> and, and so uh, when I was preparing this message this week, I asked my wife, I said, um, can you ever think of a time when I didn't think before I acted? And uh, the first thing she said was, she said, yes, sturdy, handsome woman. I said, well, honey, that's good, but the problem is I thought about that before I said it. <laughs> and then she looked at me and she said, well, right now then, <laughs> right, right now. But the Bible says that I'm a fool for that. A lot of ladies in the room do too, right? Because here's something scripture says about fools. It says this, it says, fools act before they think. Proverbs 13, 16 says it this way, wise people think before they act fools don't and even brag about their foolishness. And here I am bragging to you about my foolishness, right? I'm a fool for that. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever spent more money than you made in a certain month or a year in a given time period? Anybody ever go into debt? Yeah. Well, you're, you're foolish for that, right? Bible says, fools spend all they earn. Fools spend all they earn. Proverbs twenty-one twenty says it this way. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down, right? In other words, the wise don't devour everything they can get their hands on. They put some away for a rainy day, right? We all know if you've been around, if you've lived life for very long, you know, it's going to rain, right? And if you get caught in the rain without an umbrella, you look like a fool. So fools eat, devour, consume all they earn. while well, wise people put some away for a rainy day. Scripture also tells us that fools hurt those they love. You know, Proverbs 14.1 says, The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. You know, nobody sets out to be a fool, right? I mean, most people don't intentionally hurt people we love, but sometimes if we don't have wisdom, we, the decision we make will result in consequences that we don't really want to live with. And so we hurt our kids when we use harsh words or uh, when we don't parent them well. We hurt our spouse when we say things that devalue them, make them feel less than human. You know, we hurt our parents when we don't honor them and obey them. We, we don't intend to, but sometimes with the decisions we make, we can tear down our home with our own hands. Finally, scripture says this, fools think they know it all. Proverbs twelve fifteen says it this way, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. This is my life verse right here, man. So for so long, so much of my life, I I refused to listen to advice from from wise people. It didn't matter. I I knew where I needed to go. I knew how to get there. You know, I was on the path. Don't bother me with your advice. I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. I'm going to get there on my own. I don't need your advice, man. I got my eyes on the prize. It's a fool talking. I was a fool. I had no wisdom. Solomon says, how much better. To get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver. So, if it's so much better to get wisdom than gold, how do I get wisdom? I'm here, I'm convinced, I'm bought in, I got to get me some wisdom, how do I go about it, right? Well, uh, number one is this. There are four ways. These are in your notes, if you're taking notes, by the way. Number one is this. Fear God. you got to fear God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You may think there are a lot of ways to get wisdom. I can watch Ellen, right? I can uh, follow smart people on Twitter. I can ask my friends or my parents. I can uh, repost all those little cute little Instagram quotes that say things about my life right now, and I can get wisdom from that, right? But but Scripture is clear. It starts with a fear of the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about being afraid of God. I'm not talking about, like, you're hiding in the woods and God is coming after you fear, Right? I'm not talking about the a timid fear like God's sitting there watching you, uh, waiting for you to make a mistake, and he's ready to strike you down. That's not what I'm talking about. Fear, in this case, means a healthy reverence for God. It's a, a holy awe of God. It's, it's a desire to please him. Uh, think about it this way. Um, adults in the room, if you had a good dad growing up, I know that's not everybody in this room, but if you had a good dad growing up, I'm going to bet that you weren't always best friends, right, that, that uh, your dad uh, sometimes pushed you. You, you, may, you may be best friends with him now. But that's cool, but I bet you rubbed on each other the wrong way sometimes every once in a while, like that he challenged you in some ways. I bet that, that you had a healthy fear of your dad if, if you had a good dad. You wanted to please him. You didn't want to disappoint him. He pushed you harder. He expected more from you many of us today lack a healthy fear for the Lord. We we come in here with our coffee and we fold our arms and we watch the band play songs and we don't really worship. And and look, I'm glad we're a church where you can bring your coffee in the service and you can wear jeans and wear your football Jersey on Sunday. I think that's awesome. I I love that we don't get uptight about that stuff, but man, sometimes we're way too casual with the way we interact with God and the way we think about God. Like we talk about the big guy or the man upstairs, you know, some of us might say, yeah, me and the big guy are good. You know, I, I don't, Believe what you believe necessarily, and I I don't really – it doesn't change the way – it doesn't affect the way I live my life. But you know, I just do my thing, and we're good. We're good. I know. I I feel peace about it. If you had a really good dad, I'm willing to bet that if you did whatever you pleased, that your dad wasn't good with that. Right? I mean I'm I'm willing to bet real folding money, like that if you just lived your life in any way that you desired and you had a really good dad – that he wasn't pleased with that. Well, God isn't either. He he wants more for you. He desires more for your life. His plan is so much bigger than you probably expect. In fact, one problem that many of us have is that God wants more for our lives than even we do. But we just casually walk by as he calls out to us. We go to church when we feel like it, when we can get there. We pray when we get sick or when we need something. But otherwise, for us, God is, for many of us, God's just an accessory in our otherwise already overcrowded life. It's so just one more thing that we add to our list of things that we are and that we do. That is not the fear of the Lord. I mean, I'm talking about the God who created the universe. He created a universe so vast that our scientists still can't understand how big it is. Like, at his commands are legions of angels. The God who is on his throne in heaven right now, and as Isaiah said, all of the creatures that can see him. All they can do is bow on their face and sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the way that we approach God just doesn't show the fear of the Lord. It's so important. A fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Number two is this. The second way you get wisdom is we read scripture. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Now, maybe you don't think of God's law as perfect. Maybe you don't think of rules and statutes as refreshing to your soul. But I'm here to tell you that if you believe that, you probably just don't read it enough. If you really dig into God's word, if you study it, and you understand all that it holds for you when it comes to wisdom and truth and life, what you'll see is that it is perfect and it is trustworthy. And it refreshes the soul. And look, the, the verse says it makes, s- makes wise the simple. It means you don't have to be smart to be wise. Right? Isn't that great? That's good news for somebody out there. You don't have to be smart to be wise. That You, you read God's word and it makes wise the simple. Kevin Russell talked about this a couple weeks ago if you were here. Kevin said that when you first start reading God's word, you may not understand it at all. And that's okay. Just keep reading it. You know, Last week, Craig Grishel on the video talked about finding a reading plan. I think that's a great idea, especially if you're one of those people that you know every year I think, okay, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. And then by about January 10th or so, uh, you start to fall off the wagon, right? And so a couple of ideas uh, for reading plans, where you can find them. I, I love uh, the version app. If you've got a, an iPad or an iPhone, some of you are nodding. You've got a, uh, some kind of a tablet or smart device, you can get this app on your phone um, and – It not only has the Bible in several different translations that you can read, but there are many, many reading plans. You can go through the Bible in a year, the Bible in two years. You can go through the New Testament in 90 days. You can read from the prophets. You can read from Psalm and Proverbs. You can go, just pick one and start reading God's word. It's so good. The other way, if you don't have a smart device or if you don't like to read on a phone or you don't like to read on a tablet, um, go to BibleGateway.com. BibleGateway.com is a great site and uh, it has, again, several translations of the Bible, but that little yellow bar right there, I don't know if you can read that, it says, um, check out our 2015. We have several new something, uh, several new and improved Bible reading plans. So if you go there, you go to that bar and just click on that link. There are many Bible reading plans to choose from. There's one that's right for everybody, no matter how much time you want to spend in it. And so just pick a plan and stick with it. It's such a great way to read God's word. The third way that we get wisdom is we ask. We ask God, you know, especially as you sit down to read, don't just power through your reading. You start reading scripture. Don't just say, okay, I got to get my four pages in. Here we go. You know, or I got to get my three chapters done or whatever it is. You know, sit down and ask. Just take a moment at the beginning and pray, God, show me what you want me to get out of this. You know, make, make a, a verse jump off the page or jump off the screen. I want to get something out of your word. James one five says, if any of you acts or lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. i want to read that again. If any of you, that means any, lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to who? To all, without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, some of you have really, really difficult, important decisions to make right now. And you're doing research, and you're asking friends, and you're digging deep within yourself to try to find the right answer. But you're chasing the wind like because there is a God who loves you. He's crazy about you, created you. He knew you before you were born, and he knows the right path for you to take. He already knows the future. There is one who sees the best path, and he's willing to give it to you if you will just ask him. He gives wisdom generously to all. But you've got to ask. You've got to ask God. As Craig talked about last week, uh, this is one of the things I do all day long. Remember he talked about those little text message prayers if you were here, like those little short bursts of prayer, God, give me wisdom. That's most of my prayers are, God, give me wisdom. Uh, get, help, me, help me know the words. You ever, you ever um, get a call that you, you missed a call, and so you immediately go, okay, I missed that call. I'm going to call them back. And then you have the phone up to your ear, and all of a sudden you realize, I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> What am I going to say when they pick up the phone? I'll, I'll just stop and pray, God, give me the words to say, help me to know what this person needs to hear. Or, or one of you comes up after the service and you want prayer. And I hear it happened first service. I hear your story and it's like, I'm heartbroken by it. And, and I'm, my heart's breaking with yours. And it's the first, I don't haven't had time to process it like you have. And I'll just, I'll close my eyes. If I close my eyes, when you tell me that I'm not bored or tired, I'm not falling asleep. I'm just praying, God, give me the words to say, help me to know what to pray with these people. I'm, I'm. I'm asking God for wisdom. You can do it too. Ask God. The fourth way that we can get wisdom is to hang out with wise people. Hang out with wise people. I want to talk to some of you out there who are getting advice from the wrong person or the wrong people. I mean, Can I be honest for a minute? Some of us, when we decide who to take advice from, it's based on availability. We'll ask the person that works in the cubicle next to us because it's convenient or the person who – lives next door or lives across the hall from us because they're available. They're right there. We'll ask uh, people in our class because we know them and they sit next to us and it's real easy to get advice from them, but they don't have the wisdom that we need. They've not been through what we need. They don't have that godly perspective of how to make a smart decision. And so some of you are hanging out with people who aren't wise people. And that's okay to hang out with people who aren't wise people. They may need you, but don't take advice from them. You know, you're taking advice from people who... Don't know the right answer. I mean, if you want financial advice, you wouldn't take it from somebody who's in debt up to their eyeballs and doesn't have a retirement fund, right? You wouldn't do that. You, you can't always tell by looking, by the way. The person who, next, who lives next door to you that drives a Mercedes in an a expedition and they look like they've got it all together could have hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. But, but you want somebody who's wise with money, right? You, you probably wouldn't take relationship advice from somebody who's on their fifth marriage. They might be a lovely person, but they don't know relationships. Don't take relationship advice from them. Would you go to a personal trainer who weighed three hundred pounds? Would you take career advice from the lady at the drive thru No, probably not. So, walk with wise people. Proverbs thirteen twenty says, "Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm." You may say, I, "All right, I hang out with fools sometimes, but I'm not like them. I, I don't do the things that they do. I'm not going to become a fool." Well, that's not what that verse says. It doesn't say companion of fools becomes a fool. It says a companion of fools suffers harm. If you hang out with enough fools and eventually something that they do that's foolish is going to end up harming you. It doesn't mean that you necessarily cut off those relationships in your life with foolish people. But don't listen to them. Don't take advice from them. Certainly don't do what they do. Look, we all have to make decisions. And we all have to live with the consequences of those decisions. And as we're making decisions, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you give wisdom freely and generously just by us asking. And God, I thank you that you've given us so many ways to get wisdom, Lord, that it all starts with a fear, a healthy reverence, a respect for you. And so, God, we come today and we're just in awe of you we're in all of the way that you can guide our lives and that that you do give wisdom through your word and through wise people and wise friends and God that when we ask you give wisdom. Lord when we send up those prayers that we know that you hear us and that you can impart wisdom instantaneously and in just how to handle a situation we thank you for that. But God what we know that and could just confess that what we need most of all is not just wisdom it's not your wisdom even it's it's you. We need you in our lives. We need your son, Jesus, to be the Lord of our life, to help us find the right path to take. And uh, maybe for some of you, the best decision you can make today is to trust your life to Jesus Christ, to, to know that he left his perfect home in heaven. He came to earth to live a life fully human. He lived a perfect life to set an example for us. He carried our sin to the cross and he died so that we could be free from the burden of our mistakes and failures. And then he raised himself from the dead. He overcame death to show that we're not subject to death anymore either. Man, if you're here and you've never made that commitment, you can do that today. You can just pray this prayer uh, to yourself. Pray this prayer with me. God, I need you in my life. I've made mistakes. I've sinned. I've messed up. God, I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I need your son, Jesus, to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. God, I need your Holy Spirit to live in me and guide me and direct me for the rest of my life. I submit my life to you. Lord, for the rest of us here, we need your wisdom. We need your guidance. We need your understanding and knowledge to make the big decisions that we have to make in our life. We know that you know the path we should take. And so we just ask you, and as we come to you in a time of worship through song, God, we just pray that these words will be pleasing to you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And and join me as we sing to the Lord.